Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, tomorrow's speech from the throne is expected to include a three-pillar economic plan. It is going to be an important moment for setting a course for our country that is going to focus on keeping ourselves safe, uh, but also getting through this this challenge uh, even better than before. A snap election is called in British Columbia. We are not at the end of COVID-19, we're at the beginning. This pandemic will be with us for a year or more, and that's why I believe we need to have an election now. We can either delay that decision and create uncertainty and instability over the next 12 months, more speculation, more talk about what might be, or we can do what I believe is always the right thing and ask British Columbians what they think. And a report that the Prime Minister's office never conducted checks with Julie Payette's former employers that might have raised red flags about her behavior. There were stories that just seemed to have not come to light about this Governor General before she was appointed. It's Tuesday, September 22nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, it's great to chat with you again. Thank you for joining us today. And happy fall to you, Mark. Yes. First day of fall. And uh, the the eve of the speech from the throne as well. So uh, there is talk of a three-pillar economic plan being included in this speech from the throne. What's your sense of what we're going to hear tomorrow and how it will shape the government's plans for economic recovery uh, as a result of the, the coronavirus crisis? Well, it does seem the three pillars that you're talking about does seem that the government has uh, has let out a little bit of whispers to give people an idea of the structure of the throne speech, which is going to last, uh, our Tonda McCharles has heard, just about under an hour. Uh, so it's going to be a long for a Trudeau uh, throne speech. They tended to be short, uh, the last two, but, uh, but this one is going to be a bit longer. Um, the three pillars are kind of chronological. Uh, they are, one One is immediate health concerns of Canadians, which are even more pressing now that we're seeing the second wave coming up in Ontario and Quebec especially. Um, the second one is economic support, which is just as urgent to people, um, but maybe somewhat slightly less urgent than immediate health crisis, but that's the immediate economic relief for people who are getting devastated by uh, this ongoing lockdown and pandemic. And then the third pillar or third timeline is the longer-term economic recovery, and that's where the devil is going to be in the details. Uh, I'm not, I was told a few weeks ago that not to expect a whole lot of details on that, but we'll see. We've seen even in three weeks or four weeks since Trudeau announced that there was going to be a throne speech, there was all a whole bunch of lofty talk about build back better and all of the the, the society's ills or or the uh, the flaws in Canada that had been exposed during the pandemic. This throne speech was going to address. You don't hear that much of that now because more urgent things have come onto the agenda, which is the second wave. Right. And, so, so perhaps a little more with, practical with, and less aspirational, maybe? 
Exactly. And I think, I think when, when you hear the government talking about three pillars, we, they want us to imagine that each of these pillars is equal. But I don't know. I, think, I don't think you could build a house on these three pillars um, I, or, or even a front porch. <laughs> I think that, uh, that, that, uh, that we're going to see a lot of immediate detail, immediate reaction, and, you know, the, the longer the timeline is, the more vague things are going to get. I've actually been thinking about this throne speech in terms of colors, uh, which is, okay. sounds shallow, but um, I, I'm, I'm struck by how many people keep talking about colors in this. And, you know, is this going to be a green budget? Well, maybe light green. Is it going to be enough to address blue liberals or the, you know, the blue conservatives or, or the you know, sort of the, the, the conservative part of Canada with, with economic, um, maybe, maybe a little light blue. Um, is it going to be, how long is Canada going to stay in the red? Um, again, we're, I don't know how many details on this. So if, if this is, throne speeches are never works of art, but I don't expect to see any vivid colors in here. I expect to see hmm. a lot of light, light blue, light green, light red. Now, on the green side, uh, the Toronto Star did have a report about the prospect of investing in uh, innovation around electric vehicles. So that's a possibility, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think these are the kind of things they, they want us to focus on. It's not, it's not a budget. We're not going to get a, a huge amount of details. But I, I do think that there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of high hopes for, um, for what's coming in the throne speech to put us on some kind of better path. And I, I think you're going to see a, a few things here and there like that, but um, I think we have to wait for a budget or um, even early next year to see, you know, the, the immediate question is going to be, is this going to get um, Trudeau through a confidence vote in right. the Commons? Uh, again, there's the orange. Is it orange enough for the NDP? <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and let's talk about that a little bit, because uh, that is that seems to be the overarching question, although I've not talked to anybody yet who believes that the government will fall on this speech from the throne, that there's enough appetite on the part of opposition parties or even the public for there to be an election this fall. Having said that, there's now going to be an election in British Columbia this fall. Uh, and right. and so, uh, and there was one in New Brunswick. And, and so there are, it's it's not impossible to hold an election. It, uh, our neighbors to the south, of course, are, are having a very important election this fall as well. So nobody can argue you can't have an election in the fall of 2020 because it is going on. So does the BC election change anything or do you still think that, uh, we're not going to see that uh, the the cards kind of play out that way. Well, it was interesting to hear Trudeau last week when he gave the press conference after the cabinet retreat, doing this robust and um, stirring defense of the idea that it is irresponsible to call elections irresponsible, that we'll figure it out if there has to be an election. And uh, everybody in the room uh, and watching on TV, I think, was saying, wait a minute, are you arguing? And it was Canadian press reporter Joan Bryden who said, wait a minute, that sounds like you won an election. I think with a couple of days hindsight now, we've seen what he was doing was he also called federal by-elections last week uh, for October 26th. 
um, signaling that uh, to fill the vacancies of Michael Levitt in New York Center, who is gone, and Bill Morneau, his finance minister, who also left. So I think the prime minister uh, is seeing, uh, wants Canadians to see that by-elections or elections are possible, as we're seeing. Um, but politically, I don't think he thinks it's advisable. The BC election does change something, I think, in that it's not common for the federal government. It, it's been done, but you don't usually see provincial elections and federal elections going on at the same time. So even if the government held off, um, and presuming they wanted to have a fall election, and some people still think they do, mm. um, it would still push it into November or December, and we don't know where we're going to be by then. So I'm I'm kind of taking them at their word that they really don't want an election. You hear the NDP saying that um, the confidence they're going to express or not going to express in this government is going to have to wait until a budget. So I think we're looking, and, and we've got two opposition leaders who are in isolation right now too, which yeah. um, makes everything, you know, again, adds another element of uncertainty and, and certainly a, a holding back to this, sure. you know, whatever's going to happen this week. All right, let's turn to the developing story around the appointment of the current Governor-General, Julie Payette. Uh, the CBC is reporting that uh, there were no checks done by the Prime Minister's office with her previous employers, despite the fact that there had been some questions raised about her conduct. Um, what do you make of all of this? And uh, the Prime Minister recently uh, fully endorsed uh, Julie Payette, saying she was an excellent Governor-General, so... Uh, is this story going anywhere, or is it just revealing more information about what happened when she was appointed? I am constantly surprised by this. CBC has been doing some excellent reporting on this. The reporting is confirming what a lot of us suspected at the time when Julie Payette was appointed, because there were some um, some details from her past long before this. Uh, her um, there are, there. Are stories about uh, the accident she had uh, in which a, a person was run down and killed. Um, there were stories that, that, that just seemed to have not come to light about this governor general before she was appointed that, that caused a huge amount of controversy at the time. And then we saw about a year in stories starting to emerge too, that she was doing fewer events than other governors general. There, there's always been signs that this was not really well thought out, but this was one of those impulse appointments, which was not supposed to happen. Uh, Stephen Harper had set up a, a panel to review governor general appointments that was never used. So I, I think this is coming back to haunt this government in a way that doesn't seem sustainable to me. Uh, it, it's a past mistake. I, there's a review underway of of, um, of her as an employer right now and, and what is going on there, and it doesn't seem to be just one isolated incident. So I... I I, I think in his, it, it becomes a big issue for this government. It should be anyway, if, if this is, but it becomes a big in, issue if people are linking it to other ways in which it says something about the Trudeau governing style. Even if that was a governing style of about four years ago, it tells us that no consultation, um, 
an attraction to celebrity and um, and, and a, a willingness to overlook details when it came to their friends. And those are familiar themes in other controversies. Very interesting. It is good to have you back, Susan. I, it's uh, great to be back, Mark. Yeah, looking forward to uh, how things unfold this week in Canadian politics. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. We have been uh, consulting with opposition parties since the very beginning of this pandemic. Uh, Canadians expect us to work together. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At globalnews.ca, Bill Kelly argues against the likelihood of a fall election. Kelly writes, If some opposition MPs harbored even the slightest idea of bringing down the government, they know that there would likely be an immediate and powerful pushback from the premiers, who are counting on an uninterrupted flow of federal money to combat the devastation that COVID-19 has inflicted. And while Canadians don't expect MPs to agree on everything, they do expect that they set aside partisan politics and deal with the crisis at hand. In the Globe and Mail, André Picard argues we should only spend more on health if we get better care. Picard writes, The arguments put forward by provincial and territorial leaders for more federal cash for health care are feeble at best. They want more money with no strings attached, but won't say what, if anything, the public will get out of the deal. There is a good argument to be made for Ottawa spending more on health, but only if the new money provides new services and more equitable access to care around the country. At Policy Options, Kim Pate argues a reform of taxes would make a guaranteed livable income feasible. Pate writes, Drastic change is needed, and Canadians are increasingly looking to the potential of a guaranteed livable income. All it would take is an estimated 5% increase in GST to fund this program. Hopefully, this government's legacy will be the actualizing of robust social, health, and economic systems that enable individuals, the economy, and the country to rebound. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Supreme Court begins hearing three long-awaited appeals today, all of them provincial challenges to the Trudeau government's carbon tax. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, over the next two days, the Supreme Court justices will hear the appeals from the three provinces which challenged the government's Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act. Saskatchewan and Ontario lost their challenges, with the highest courts in those provinces ruling that Ottawa had the constitutional right to bring in legislation to curb a national threat which transcends provincial borders, namely climate change. But the Alberta Court of Appeals sided with that provincial government and ruled that Ottawa had overstepped the powers of the federal government. Starting today, the justices of the Supreme Court of Canada will hear submissions from at least seven provinces, the federal government, the Assembly of First Nations, and almost two dozen interveners, including environmental groups and unions. If the justices rule in favour of Ottawa, little will change and the Trudeau government will continue on with its plans. But if they were to rule against Ottawa, the Trudeau government will lose one of its central pillars of its climate change policy. The carbon tax accounts for 40% of the reductions in greenhouse gas emissions needed for Canada to meet its obligations under the Paris Climate Change Agreement. So Mark, plenty of people will be watching the Supreme Court over the coming days. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the President of Ukraine after which he will virtually attend the Liberal Caucus meeting. The Conservative Caucus will hold all-day meetings in Ottawa. And in Edmonton, Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein 
We'll speak about federal support for Alberta's efforts to ensure a safe return to school. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, September 22nd. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.